before we get going, I want to say that I wanted to have Jim Rooney on this show for quite a long time, so I'm really happy to finally get to make that happen. I read Jim's book, In It for the Long Run, A Musical Odyssey, a few years back, and he's just one of those guys who has been part of so many great things along the way. He was a manager at Club 47 in Boston. He helped found Newport Folk Festival. He was instrumental in founding the New Orleans Jazz Fest. He was involved with the people that brought Louis Armstrong back to New Orleans for the Jazz Fest. You know, he ran Bearsville Studio in Woodstock, New York. He came to Nashville, worked with Cowboy Jack, produced records for Iris DeMint, Nancy Griffith, John Prine. He's just involved in so many cool things. This is just a tiny bit of it. But a little insider tip, if you're in Nashville looking for something to do, look at the Station Inn calendar. About twice a year, you'll see a listing for Jim Rooney's Irregulars. And it's just a really great time. When I think of the things that I love about old school Nashville, is Jim playing with his friends. You know, Sean Camp's up there. There's a bunch of people up there. Jamie Hartford. I've been a few different times when John Prine gets up and plays eight or 12 of his hits. And what's not to love about that? But if you see the listing there, definitely go see him. It's everything that's right about Nashville. This is Otis Gibbs, and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. This show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it, and everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Jim Rooney. Jim is a folk singer, a songwriter, a producer, and you can find out everything you need to know about Jim at jimrooneyproductions.com. I'd wanted to have Jim on this show for quite a while, and we were originally supposed to record this in my living room, but he called up and at the last minute and said we needed to change the location and I said well where would you like to do it and he said we need to do it at Cowboy Jack Clement's old house so we recorded this sitting in Cowboy Jack's living room so needless to say I was very happy that we made that change I asked Jim if he'd be nice enough to tell a story that I read in his book about John Prine driving him to Paradise Kentucky and he was happy to share that story and a whole lot of others I was sitting there grinning ear to ear as I was listening to this, and I'm hoping it has the same effect on you guys. Here's Jim Rooney. Well, I'm, I met Prine um, at a festival in Maine. I think it was 75 
or six. I can't remember. It was a summer uh, time, and I was living at the time in Massachusetts, and I had a little trio band with Everett and Tennis Lily, the sons of Everett Lily, the original bluegrass that I ever heard. So we were playing around the Northeast and got booked. There was a guy named Jim Clark who had a lot of festivals, and we would get on his festivals. And this was one up in Maine, and uh, Steve Goodman and Prine were on it. And um, I just, uh, I didn't know him. And uh, I when I was here in Nashville uh, in 74 and was told about a party going on at Combine Music. And the point of the party, Chris Christopherson was throwing this party for John Prine. He'd evidently played at the Exit Inn. We, we, we just kind of crashed the party. And a bunch of us, and I don't think I even met John that night. I, I knew it was about him, but I didn't know anything about him at the time, and it didn't matter. So at any rate, a couple of years later, we're up in Maine, and they had some kind of a bar set up for the artists, and uh, I guess we were staying in a hotel of some kind there. And there's Brian at the bar, and we just wound up sitting around talking for a good while. And uh, he told me later uh, that he went back to his guys and told his whoever was playing guitar with him uh, that he just thought he'd met Huck Finn. <laughs> and and, and uh, I, I said it later when he, he told me this later, much later, many years later. And, and I said, well, I, I did have a motor home and I was kind of floating down the river of life and uh, uh, so it, that's that's kind of where we met and um, then I didn't see him at all until the summer of 78 he had come down to make an album with Jack Clement and they had been at it for for a while and had tapes piled up two inch tapes were piling up upstairs and um, so I got to meet John for re I mean really meet him this time and he was pretty much moving here he had kind of fallen in love with Rachel Peer bass player that was working with Cowboy and all of us and so do you remember what album that was that album that was never finished this was a period of Jack's life when he had trouble finishing things and uh, so eventually I think John and his manager, Albanetta, decided that enough was enough and they needed to move along, you know. And Steve Goodman wound up doing Bruised Orange. That was the, and the songs, had they'd been working on those songs up here, but I think they were all re-recorded with Steve, you know. And, but at any rate, that was how I got to really spend time with John. I'd been away for several months. I came into the kitchen here, and there was this curly-headed English guy in there. I'd never seen him, met, or anything. And he turned out to be Tony Newman. And Tony had, I didn't know anything about him at the time, but he had played with David Bowie, Mark Bolin, Jeff Beck, and as a matter of fact, when I worked for the Newport festivals for George Ween, 
we had a summer where we put a lot of rock bands on the jazz festival, and one of them was Jeff Beck. So Tony was there, but then he had like Louis the Fourteenth hair, you know. <laughs> and I would, I certainly didn't recognize him when I saw him in the kitchen, and it was short, curly hair. Anyway, that was Tony Newman. So we went back into Jack's office, and this guitar player, Irish guitar player, who I had met, Philip Donnelly, came in. He'd, he'd moved here. He come, came to town with Lee Clayton. And Philip was there and Rachel Peer, who John Prine was taken with and or going to be taken with. And Jack's the way Jack worked was that we would sit in his office and he'd get a guitar off the wall. I might get a guitar in my hands and we'd just strum and sing a song, sing a song or two. And then he just said, well, why don't you go up and, and do something? So I, we went up, and I had never played with Tony. I had never played with Philip. I'd seen Philip play. I had played with Rachel. So we sat down, and I had this song, uh, just one of the songs from Jack Music Catalog, of, I Recall a Gypsy Woman. I said, let's play that. So we did. We played that, and Kurt Allen was at the board and just turned it on, and we recorded it. And then I said, well, there's this other song Cowboy likes, this song No Expectations, the Rolling Stones tune that I do in a different way from them, more like a train song. And we just started doing that, and it just took off. And that was the beginning of me and Tony and Rachel and Philip and then an addition of a keyboard player named Lamar Hill. We just became sort of a, a rhythm section. This is common in Nashville. Over the years, there have been some famous ones where you just are very comfortable playing with each other and good at backing up a songwriter, singer-songwriter. So we started doing this for John Prine. And John started piling up more tapes. And he was in a very, very... When I look back on it now... He, he was in a very productive period of his, his songwriting life. And out of those, and at some point, he'd been on major labels at this point, he, and for several years had been on um, Electra and had big budgets to record and spent all that big budgets. And those that label deal was up, and his manager was looking for another big label deal and meanwhile, Steve Goodman, who was John's best friend, had leukemia, and Steve didn't. And his deal was up too. But Steve realized he didn't have all the time in the world to wait for the next big record deal, so he decided to just start his own label called Red Pajamas. He had a very nice sense of humor about his illness because he was always in pajamas. So we've been piling up these tapes. I had played guitar on them a lot, rhythm guitar. And um, we had piled up songs like Aimless Love, and I'd have to go look at the label copy for Aim that record. But Aimless Love became the first Oh Boy record, a long uh, LP, vinyl LP. The first Oh Boy record of any kind. He, he just, we were riding around one day. He said, I think I'm going to start my own label too. I said, well, what are you going to call it? He said, oh, boy. I said, no, what are you going to call it? Oh, I said, oh, boy. Oh, oh, okay, oh, boy. And, and after Buddy Holly sort of tribute. And so 
So we decided the very first thing we were going to do was, it was summertime, and we recorded two Christmas songs, because this is the way you do Christmas recordings. You do them in the summer, and they come out in the winter. And um, we did Silver Bells, and then we did I Saw Mama Kissing Santa Claus. John Prine loves Christmas. He has a Christmas tree up all year round at his house, as long as his wife will allow it, and very heavy into Christmas lights and the whole thing. So we we had a great lot of fun doing that recording. We got Rachel and her brother. We knew found out they could tap dance, so we recorded them tap dancing. And we got this wonderful piano player from the Grand Old Opry, Del Wood, very large, formidable woman. She had a big million seller of Down Yonder, down, dun, 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 like that. So we called her up and asked her to come in and play on it, and she did, you know. And uh, that was Oh Boy 001. It came out on red vinyl, 45. It's a real collector's item. Pic picture of John on Santa's knee, you know, on the cover. Well, at that time, uh, you know, it began to dawn on people that the money they were spending, these big budgets and the limos and the whole nine yards, you know, that was their money. It wasn't the record label's money. It, the record label acted as if it was their money, but it wasn't. It was your money. And you owed them all that money. And you were never going to see any royalties, you know, that way. The only records of John's on a major label that made any money were the first ones on Atlantic, and they were very simple records. And those were the songs that got him established, totally established, all the songs, Sam Stone, Hello in there, all those songs. Those are on the Atlantic recordings. But so when he went on his own, you know, we just started out... Very simply, we were making demos, basically, of these songs of his, but they're good songs, you know. And um, Only Love, that's a song he wrote with Roger Cook and Sandy Mason, a beautiful song. Uh, that became the first album. And then shortly after that, we did another one called German Afternoons, which is a strange title that none of us really understand why he calls it that, but that's up to him. And... By that time, you know, he wrote Speed of the Sound of Loneliness, one of his very, very best songs. He was just in a very good period of writing, and we were all just ready to play whenever he wanted to record. Well, we started that at some point. He's been going over to Mountain View, Arkansas. His brother Dave started taking him over there when he was a teenager, go hunting or fishing. And it is a musical community over there. Jimmy Driftwood, who wrote The Battle of New Orleans and Tennessee Stud, he was a school teacher there. And Grandpa Jones used to have a theater over there that he played at. And there was a ballad singer that I knew from my folk days named Almeda Riddle who had recorded, you know, the old ballads. And it's also a well-known cowboy singer who I met years later called Glenn Orlin. He's, yeah. de he's dead now. He's from there. I love Glenn Orlin. Yeah. And uh, 
And there's a nice musical community there, people who just pick and, and sing, and a lot of kind of gospel church music, that kind of music. So I guess we started maybe, at least John started bringing some of us over there, maybe in the 80s. And um, we were just spending a lot of time together, uh, all of us, uh, that, that rhythm section group, Philip Donnelly, myself, Rachel, and Tony. And, um, you know, we just enjoyed each other's company. As I say, we were working on this, um, what became German Afternoons. Uh, you know, when you ask John about some, sometimes song titles or, or in this case, this album title, I said, where did that come from? He said, well, I made a list of potential titles and I showed it to my mother. And his mother was a wonderful, wonderful woman. And uh, she liked that one. And I it might have had something to do with his army experience. He was stationed in Germany in the army. But we had another confirmation of it. There was a good German restaurant here in town called the Gerst House. And occasionally John and I would wind up over there in the afternoon and they had these big what called fish bowls of beer, good beer. And we were in there one afternoon and went in around two and came out around five. And I said, I guess that was a German afternoon. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just stupid stuff like that. But anyway, we were working on that album and the cover, we spent quite a bit of time on the cover photograph. This wonderful photographer, Jim McGuire, who's well known for all of his work here in Nashville for the last 40 or 50 years taking pictures of all the people that make the music here. If you look at the album cover, it, it, you don't know what this is about. It, there's a refrigerator. John's sitting on a chair looking into a refrigerator door open that has a light in it while getting this set up out on a hill with the sun set behind him. I mean, setting this thing up was a piece of work. We had to take the, uh, get a truck to bring the refrigerator up there. And Is this John's idea? I don't know whose idea this was, but somebody's idea. At any rate, we we got that far with it, and then and we re, we re-recorded re Paradise for this album, and it was in more of a little bluegrassy flavored treatment of it. I had parts of the Nashville bluegrass band played Stuart Duncan and Alan O'Brien on it and had a really good feel for it. And uh, that song Paradise, of course, is, you know, one of John's best known songs. And we hadn't decided on album cover. We were still taking pictures and things and thinking about it. And so he said, let's go up to paradise. You know, he said, let's go up to Central City. <clears throat> and I don't know if I'd ever been there. This might have been my first time. I think it may be my second time to go there. Well, Central City, Kentucky, this area of Kentucky is one of these musical hotspots in America that just looks like nothing when you go there. This is the home of Merle Travis, Ike Everly of the Everly Brothers' father, the Prine family, uh, Bill Monroe, not too far away, 
Yeah, so it's quite a, got that vibe about it musically. So we went up there and John's, I think it's a 49 Ford Coupe Red that he'd had totally restored. Three of us, me and McGuire and, and John. So we pull into the Rambling Rose Motel there and get in a room, our rooms and whatnot, and we're in John's room. He's got some vodka and we're having a drink. And around one in the morning, he says, well, would you fellows like to go to paradise? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course we would. So we got in the car. It was wintertime, and it was dark, of course. I mean, we're driving along, and he's pointing out there's a, on our left, we could see this dark, there's trees there. He said, well, there's just a skin of trees to hide the strip mining. So, anyway, and we finally come around a corner, and there's a lot, big light, big, big power plant there, coal power plant, and piles, mountains of coal, and all lit up, of course, and lots of signs, no, and a big sign saying Paradise Power Plant. This is Paradise, Kentucky. This is, this was a village right there, and it's on the Green River. We, and then we, John went past those no trespassing, no entry signs. We drove down this very rutted, it had been muddy, and now it was frozen ruts. Uh, down to the Green River, where Paradise lay. And this is where his, his parents came from. And what happened, and later on I rode around that area with John and his mother, and she said what they did was come into a village like that, the coal company. They wanted to get rid of these people so they could strip mine. And so the deal was they would go see the oldest people in the village, these are little shotgun houses, little wooden shotgun, probably three-room houses, you know, very simple. And offer them $5,000. And that's the only money these people were ever going to see in their life. And the other people didn't feel it was their role to stand in their way. So they would pick off the older people, and the younger people eventually got the picture and that's when the Prines moved to Chicago. And that's when everybody in that area moved somewhere as part of the great migration that, you know, Bill Monroe and his brothers, they went up to Gary, Indiana. So then, so we were down by the Green River, you know, where paradise lay, the song, and we hear the sirens going off, whoop, 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 like that, you know, and the, and we see a big suburban, you know, big Chevy suburban coming our way. We get back. McGuire's taking pictures all the time. And we get back in the car. And we started heading back. And they're heading towards us. And we come abreast. And John rolls his window down. They got their window down. He just says, I was just showing my friends here from Nashville where things used to be and rolled up the window and off they, we drove <laughs> in this 49 red Ford Coupe. And it was twilight zone all the way, you know, totally twilight zone. And I'm sure those guys were wondering, what is this about? But, although, and actually up in that part of the country, 
The people, when that song originally came out, they tried to get it off the radio. And then they issued these statements like, well, Mr. Prine is making records on, you know, vinyl, on petroleum products. And, but it didn't work. And now, you know, and the line is the world's largest shovel, you know, and came in there and they tortured the timber and whatever, did all the land and, and railed it all down to the progress of man. Well, that world's largest shovel very beautifully dug its own grave. They couldn't get it out. <laughs> it's still down there, and they covered it up. And people go there every year and stand around and sing Paradise. <laughs> Isn't that something? I really appreciate you sharing stories. Yeah, it's beautiful to be here listening to them. Okay, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Otis. You gonna fish for bass tomorrow? Or? Well, it's, it's trout over there. Trout. It's a stocked. It's it's corn and worms. This isn't fly fishing. <laughs> We're not. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'm a corn and worms kind of guy myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's fun. You know. We're just trying to have some. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in and I'd like to thank Jim for inviting me over to Cowboy Jack's living room here in Nashville, Tennessee. You can find out everything you need to know about Jim at jimrooneyproductions.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records, you could buy one of Amy's children's books. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours, and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. Subscribe, and you'll get a brand new episode free as soon as it's available. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.